Welcome to Scaling Alberta Businesses, Innovate MRU's podcast that focuses on the startup and scale-up stories of Alberta-born companies. I'm Ray DePaul, the Director of the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Mount Royal University. On this episode, I'm honoured to be speaking with James Bocher. James is the CEO of Fiasco Gelato, one of the fastest-growing private companies in Canada. As you can probably guess, they make tasty gelato. James has won many awards, including the EY Entrepreneur of the Year. But as you'll learn, it wasn't an easy journey. Let, let's go way back. Let's sure. like before you joined Fiasco. Yeah. Uh, what you know? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. I uh, grew up here in Calgary, Alberta. Love this town. That's why I'm such a, a, a civic champion and a community builder. We didn't have much money growing up. I grew up in Woodlands in a low-income housing, and inadvertently, I learned a lot from that time. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was when I was two, and uh, my dad had to work very hard to make ends meet. So that sort of can-do attitude and and uh, you know, tomorrow's another day and, and we can make another dollar are rooted in that, that childhood experience. One of my most favorite things to share in, uh, in the opportunity to speak to young people is looking at the very first time that you made money. And I often ask who shovels walks or mows lawns. And when I see a few hands go up, I'm very proud. Um, one day I'd asked my dad if we could go to the store and he said we didn't have any cash. So I looked out the window and saw this kid shoveling his driveway. And I looked and then at the end of it I could see that there was a transaction that occurred. So I quickly ran to the bottom of the stairs, grabbed a shovel, went to the next guy's house. <laughs> and I said, can I shovel your walk for money? And the guy said, well, how much? And I said, well, how much did you pay the last guy? And he's like, $2. I was like, deal. And so, <laughs> so that was one of the very first moments where I realized, you know, if you're willing to work for it, you can get it. And uh, that's why I often propose that question to young folks. It's a bit of a lost art now as kids grow up. So uh, always having that strong work ethic. My dad got put in a work placement program and ended up at Sentara. It was originally Foodvale, but Sentara Britannia. And uh, I would take the number three bus from school and show up at the grocery store after class and tidy the store a little bit and uh, I get paid in candy, which is never a bad way to get paid. <laughs> but I remember asking, when can I work here? And this man, Tim Douglas, said, you can start here on your 14th birthday. And it was a Saturday. I remember waking up like it was Christmas and uh, getting in the car with my dad and going to work for the first time for five bucks an hour to bag groceries. And uh, they used to call me Skipper. It's a bit of a folklore <laughs> at, at Sunterra uh, that, that extends to the Price family. But uh, I would go on my days off from school. So if I had a half day or a PD day, I would go in because I had to help contribute to the household. So all of these things sort of started to formulate this idea that if I just was willing to do the work, I could see a return. Started all kinds of little businesses when I was young. I used to play punk rock music, and uh, at the Multicultural Center, I would consign touring bands' records, and I would sell them through this distro I called Lonely Street Records. Very mm. emo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, through through all of that, uh, again, just learn, learning that you know every day you can make a dollar and 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 keep it going. And things that I loved, you know, things that I was excited about. I still love the smell of fresh cut grass. You know, seven bucks a lawn is is not bad. And yeah. And uh, it's very therapeutic to shovel the walk, I find. <laughs> so through all of this, I ended up starting a design company. I was going to Bishop Carroll, not too far from here. And uh, the art class was a bit weird. Everything else was so free-flowing. And they told me to draw a cat. This is a very important lesson for me <laughs> in uh, how I lead my team. The boundary of drawing a cat, I don't like cats. No offense to anybody that loves cats, but I wanted to do something else. So I started drawing an elephant, and I got in trouble. 
So being rebellious in punk rock as I was, I was like, screw this art class, I'm leaving. As I was walking out the door, I saw somebody on a computer, and this program called Adobe Photoshop was open. And I said, what's that? And this kid told me what it was. The next day I came in and I sat next to him and I learned how to do design. Created uh, my very first, what I would call CRA company, and it was called Paperback Design. So I was doing some freelance design, I think I charged 20 or $30 an hour to do hmm. probably a pretty bad logo at the time. But through that uh, and my sort of reputation of, of being this charismatic person and some of my alliances within the, the music community, I uh, stumbled upon um, a, a gentleman whose brother had wanted to start this gelato company. Mike is his name. He's a good friend of mine. He said, you should talk to my brother. We had a meeting, and I got the uh, first contract for the website for Fiasco Gelato. And this was when Flash MX was super hot. So for oh, <laughs> any of the design the good people listening, yeah, they'll be like, oh, nice, nice. Uh, <laughs> extinct now. <laughs> it's like a woolly mammoth. But um, it was an opportunity to really sort of work for a company uh, on a freelance side that I, I was excited about. And I had some other ones like yoga studios and whatnot. But throughout that journey, I became very passionate about design. I came, became passionate about this this brand. And I had a few other ones. And I had a full-time job. I was working for a um, grocery distribution company called Planet Foods. Mm. So I helped them sort of go from dial-up and, uh, and no logo to like, you know, a bit of a brand. Uh, Planet Foods is arguably the, the company that put King Orr's Coffee on the map here in Canada, and, and they're a tremendous success. So by osmosis, I was learning a ton about Kicking Orr's Coffee and what it took yep. to build this very strong brand, Happy Planet as well. And throughout all of that, I just sort of was, again, inadvertently learning these lessons of what I did or didn't want in my own company. I was doing my own thing on the side, having the opportunity to like learn about other people's businesses. Lo and behold, in, in 08, 09, I end up falling <laughs> backwards and hitting my head on on uh, an opportunity to take this over and i had a clothing line at the time and that's a whole nother <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast but so so is it and i remember we, uh, first conversation we ever had years ago correct me if i'm wrong but you didn't really fit in what we would call formal education yeah like it just didn't <laughs> and and we see a lot of that we're sitting in a university for those who don't know and, absolutely um, so yeah, tell me tell me about that experience because there's a lot of young people out there that end up very successful. Yeah, but did the factory model of uh, some traditional education just didn't work for them. Yeah, you know I think it's uh, it's uh, on a case by case basis. I think the acknowledgement of my childhood where. Um, you know, I know I knew no one else was going to provide for me, and I kind of had to look out for myself was important. I moved out when I was 15 uh, and ended up renting my basement or my aunt's basement from her. But I had to kind of always work. And I remember graduating high school. I had pretty good marks, and I was going to take a year off and then go do something else. And the plan really was I got accepted to ACAD for visual communications. Mm. I had my eyes set on Emily Carr, got denied, which uh, is a blessing as well. It was something I was considering, but what I realized is, again, and this is, you know, I think another important part that I incubate into our, our culture is the opportunities that came out of working at Planet Foods, a very small but growing business, as well as having the courage to kind of do my own thing. 
put me in a place where I, I didn't think that spending the next four years of my life full time in a space wasn't going to work. That doesn't mean I didn't go to school. I got my master design certificate taking night classes at SAIT and uh, a couple other things. I'm a constant learner. But I think for anyone that's struggling with whether or not school's for them or not, just follow your heart is like my biggest thing. I think that there's a lot of societal pressure to either do it or not do it or family pressure. Taking a year off, I think, is the most valuable advice anybody can have because you're still so young when you graduate high school and you haven't seen the world and you really don't know what you want to do. And it's a shame when people spend four, six, eight, ten years learning something they don't even really love. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in an era of grade 13. And if (laughs) nothing else, it gave you another year to mature and another year to, to kind of figure stuff out. And um, we see a lot of 17-year-olds that somehow think they want to be an accountant already. <laughs> so um, God bless them. We need yeah, God them. bless them. We all need them. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you just you, you talked about uh, this opportunity to acquire, shall yeah. we say, Fiasco 2008? 2008, 2009. Nine. And it's one of the most wondrous stories ever. For those that maybe can remember going into a fiasco gelato shop, there were three at that time. They were a bit derelict, you know. I think that the brand had sort of lost its its love and, and the, the management teams that were in place weren't really doing the brand its service. And it was a bit depressing. Uh, but what I, I saw was an opportunity to sort of re-energize that. And I was fortunate enough that uh, the founder of Fiasco did a handshake deal with me to repay basically the purchase value over uh, a few years because I had 1800 bucks in my bank account. <laughs> I remember him saying, can you borrow some money from your family? And it was like, <laughs> my mom's on welfare. My, my dad is, you know, at an entry level position and, and uh, there isn't any rich uncles or aunts to, to support. So um, very gracious for the opportunity to flip a coin and see if it works out and, uh, the, the crazy part, and I think, uh, you know, this is another important piece for people to hear is before I had opened the store that I had taken over, we had, we, we had reduced it down to one storefront and we were about two days away from opening and I had borrowed five grand from aunt, five grand from my good friend Chris to do some light renovations. I didn't know what I was doing, but bought some paint and a saw and uh, someone threw a brick through the front window of the mm. store in Kensington. Fans of Fiasco have heard the story a million times, but anyone listening that's that's starting their own business or trying to get going, there will be some very hard moments. And if they come before you have even started, they are a blessing. They are the opportunity to basically say, if not now, then when? And I always believe that whether it's religious or the force of the universe or whatever it is, those challenges are really to set you up for the next big one that's coming. And that fire of 09 before we opened and then being shut out by our landlord six months later, those gave us the energy and the power and the courage and the tenacity to make it through two recessions, another multi-million dollar fire. Um, everything you could imagine that has gone wrong had we not been through that in 09. Oh, man, like, I don't know if we're here today. So this notion of perseverance, which is comes up often with entrepreneurs, um, is it, do you think it's something you learn? Like, do you think the brick was the training wheels for the fire, which was the training mm-hmm. wheels? But like, is this a, is it a learned skill as opposed to some? Yeah, I, I reference it uh, as a bit of a muscle. I think yeah. that um, uh, that perseverance or tenacity is something that you have to flex. And 
Again, unfortunately, I don't know that people are given enough opportunity to do so, whether it's the way that they were parented or the, the safety of the world they grew up in. It's, it's very hard for me when I see, you know, that protective sort of approach to parenting. I don't know, they call it helicopter parenting yep. or something. But the reality is, is that, you know, every scrape, every bang knee, every failure, I remember, uh, you know, playing hockey as a young kid. My uncle helped me afford that or my dad afford that. And uh, I learned how to lose well. You know, it's 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 something that you have to go through over and over and over. So when the 09 fire happened, I think I look back at moving out when I was 15, like all these things that really didn't work the way, I don't know, I, w I don't want to say I planned for it, but sure. uh, they, they weren't ideal. And it just kind of was like, well, okay, like get knocked down, get back up kind of idea, yeah. right? So, Yeah, we're, I'm fortunate to run a program for young people. And um, I'll be honest, a lot of the times I know they're, they're in for some hurt mm -hmm. and that's kind of the point. Right. So I could save them from the hurt by telling them the 15 people that have tried this before. <laughs> um, but but it's like the, the the major thing they learn out of that process is is the ability to get back up or pivot yeah. as they say or whatever it is right it's a learning experience and I think you know the, the more you try to protect people to not have those you're not doing them a service yeah people think you are but yeah I I agree I th I think it's a a tough spot too when you're caring I I see I catch myself doing it with my my team sometimes where you know you got to sort of same approach, like, I'm confident this doesn't work out. It doesn't mean it won't. However, you know, the odds are a bit against them. And as long as I have the confidence that they can learn from it and move forward, then, you know, be courageous and allow yep. people to fail. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Builds resilience. Yes. So you're down to one store. <laughs> um, just not to go through the entire yeah. history, but are there inflection points in your chart, yes. shall we say, that go, okay, that's something interesting happened there that mm -hmm. put us on a new trajectory. Yeah. I uh, I use the expression, create your own luck very often. So we had rebuilt the store in 09, got it open, best, you know, six months fiasco I'd ever experienced. It was this refresh brand. Landlord comes in Jan 1, 2010 and says, your rent's going to be double. And so you're like, holy crap, like, what do I do about this? You know, I'm good, but not great at math. I'm not born to be an accountant. But uh, I, I pack it all up and I put it in storage. And we had an opportunity sort of present itself. Famoso was coming to Calgary and they said to us, hey, uh, we heard you make the best gelato. And I said, well, we used to. And uh, they're like, okay, well, we need samples by April. And I literally was still trying to figure out what my next move was. And you can't sign a lease and do your build out and all that in this amount of time. But again, being kind of scrappy and resourceful, like the kid looking out the window at the other kid shoveling, called everyone I knew. And I found a very small garage, essentially, to make gelato in that was on the back of a catering company called uh, Indulge Catering. Eric Day and Sharon are, are two of my most favorite people in the world because um, had I not been a great person to them in my past life when I was working for Planet Foods. I don't have that relationship. And so they say, you're crazy, but you can try it. And we did and got our very first contract there. And uh, I share with the team often, we do what's called culture shock every quarter. So I tell the, the Genesis story, origin story. So a lot of yeah. these things come up. So that was a moment where I was like, okay, well, shit, we can do it in a garage. We can do it anywhere, you know? We get kicked out of the garage by Alberta Health Services because you can't make gelato in a garage. <laughs> Apparently. But, hey. <laughs> and then we found this this old egg factory, and, and um, it was this commissary space. And, and through that, we started to continue to build. And, and again, I think it goes back to, like, if the inflection was 
getting a call from this company and us saying we're not ready, but give us a minute, and then getting that that at bat. That created a, a really powerful opportunity where now we were back on the map. The next big inflection point was the flood. So floods happened here in Calgary and or Alberta in 2013. Again, being a community builder, acknowledging my my force with YYC food trucks, we deployed a, uh, as many trucks as we could to first line responders. We put soup and coffee on the gelato truck and called it Fiasco Souped Up and went around and fed people for free and then wanted to take the next step to, to rebuilding our community called the zoo very close to us in proximity and a place as a kid I, I just had such fond memories of and they said what would you like to do and we didn't really know so again I'm I'm pretty good at the the <laughs> improv so we we said well we'll make a couple flavors and we're not sure uh what we'll call them or where we'll sell them or whatever and then uh Tanya on the other line she said well do you work with co-op we work with co-op so I get in touch and again create your own luck I used to deliver happy planet to co-op Shaughnessy co-op 14 for those of you that work for co-op <laughs> I still remember and the produce manager was this lady Sharon Wheeler and she had worked her way up and now she's working at head office and the very first person I made contact with, never been in a grocery store with Fiasco product yet, is Sharon Wheeler. She says, oh my God, James, I remember you when you were this kid delivering juice to the back door and uh, this is so neat, we'd love to list it. So we get in there, we make like 20 jars every hour and they want it in 24 stores and they want 60 jars a store and it's like, took us like six wow. weeks to like start. Um, <laughs> never done packaging before, we were like, so crazy. We put it in glass, glass in a freezer. Super good idea, I guess. <laughs> but uh, Banana Mill Cracker and High Water Hippo were a hit. We donated 12 grand back to the zoo, hand filled 12,000 wow. jars. Then they said, What's next? And so, again, creating our own luck, I had this jar on my desk. It was clear. It said frozen hot chocolate. I said, We'll invent eight flavors in the next 30 seconds and put them on shelves. And that was a huge moment. All of a sudden, every independent retailer was hearing about this brand, and they all do store tours and check out what's new. And we're getting all these calls, and we can barely keep, you know, supply. We're, you know, we're making 10 liters at a time and, and all this. So that happens, and we garner enough. Another inflection was 2014. We had a, a big opportunity um, Wellington Holbrook from ATB, a, a good friend of mine now, called me and he said, James, are you sitting down? And I said, who's this guy? I'm busy, like <laughs> running off our, our feet right now, 16 hours a day kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, who's this? Oh, Wellington from ATB. Cool, what do you need? It's like probably what I said. <laughs> and he's like, you've just been acknowledged as ATB We Grow Alberta winner. Uh, we'd like to give you $50,000, 40 grand in this spectacle of advertising videos and posters and stuff and we'll give you 10 grand in an ATB bank account you know I was like <laughs> wow like no one's giving me anything <laughs> you're yeah. about to give me a commercial and 10 grand wow so uh that was a moment then we won a, a small business award that year for emerging growth and we're just we're rolling so I sit down I get to meet with Ed Straw who works with Wellington and uh another amazing human and he says what do you what do you need and I'm just you know, shooting the lights out at this point, And I'm like, I need a million dollars. And I just remember him like laughing out loud. We were at Char Bar having lunch and uh, Char Cut. And he, uh, he was just like, no one asks for a million dollars. And he's got like these advisory brochures and like, oh, you know, we'll help you build your brand. And I'm like, no, I need like cash money right now. <laughs> so I think they 
believed, this is, you know, assumptions, they believed enough in my ability to lead a company through so many things already. And uh, we ended up working a few deals, ended up finding what now is Fiasco HQ. ATB really went to bat for us, and I'm so proud to work with them because they really had to think outside the box. I remember Ed famously saying, James, there's like this banker's box. It looks like this box. And uh, and he said, I think you're like down the street around the corner and up in a tree. <laughs> uh, so like you got to you gotta realize we got to get close to the box also. Um, I'm just a million miles a minute. We're in every Canadian retailer at this point in terms of small. So Federated Co-op is kind of the, the upper yeah. echelon of that. And we're working on trying to figure out if we're going to go into Ontario and, and Western Canada is going crazy. We're about to get into Whole Foods, all this amazing stuff. And we had just built this, you know, Willy Wonka meets Google factory. And uh, it's it's so eerie to even say, but um I go home on a Friday night. We had just, we were going through the recession of 15. I had to make some pretty tight cuts. We were overspending on the build. Everything was out of whack. I didn't really have an accountant so yep. at that point. And we're in this really, really dark spot. And I get a call in the morning that there's been a fire. And my landlord, Tony Robinson, one of the greatest people, calls me and he says, James, there's been a fire at 19th Street. And I literally remember hanging up on him. I probably said some swear words and then hung up. Um, Because I didn't believe it. It was like I was kind of, you know, it was like 6, 7 a.m., out of sorts, answering the phone. Somebody tells you something stupid. You just hang up on them. And uh, he called back and he said, no, there's been a fire. So we had put it all on the line for the space. We had just secured these new accounts. And I roll up to Fiasco, driving 200 kilometers an hour to get there. And smoke's billowing out of it. There's five fire trucks there. And just I... Of all the times that we've been on the mat, this was the time where I was like, I don't know if we can get up. And the restoration company told it was it would be eight months to rebuild. And uh, I politely asked them to leave. I called the contractor and I said, uh, we need to rebuild this space in 30 days. And they're like, that is not possible because the smoke damage and the water damage yeah. is really what gets you. The fire was pretty contained to the front cafe if you've ever been to Fiasco, but smoke and water permeated through everything. So we focused, hyper-focused on just production because that was the, that's the heartbeat, right? Day and night, everybody worked so hard. The team put respirators on. Everybody showed up. There was no, you know, sitting on the sidelines, wallowing in our tears and hoping that somebody would make it right. And we got production back just in time to replenish retailers in mid-January. So it was, it was just under a month before we made our, our first batch again. And what we did is we shared our, our journey with uh, our retailers. They really believed in us. For those of you that, that ever work with retailers, number one priority is to communicate early and often. And they were first to know. And we said, we will keep you abreast of, of everything that happens. And we reached out to all our fans through social media. And we said, if you're buying our product during this holiday season, please buy it very slowly. Because hmm. once there's a space on the shelf, no matter how great you are uh, or how much they love you, grocery stores get marked on, on fill rates and, and how full the shelves are. And they're not going to put a sign on the shelf that says, James is a nice guy. We'll, we'll save your spot. So magically, again, that that tenacity or perseverance of forcing the hand uh, a little bit and augmenting reality with the the contractor really hyper focused on one thing just production and uh, pitching in wherever we could I mean my team has never rebuilt the building but they sure learned pretty fast 
find out more about Fiasco Gelato's journey from startup to scale-up, including an unfortunate legal issue, in the next episode of Innovate MRU's Scaling Alberta Businesses. This episode was produced by Joanne Horwood and Ben Goodman, and the music provided by Broke for Free. I'm Ray DePaul. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.